You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Carolina 5-3 to three is the final score here. Brad Marchand, outstanding. Jeremy Swayman. What's going on, Elliot? Sorry, there's a guy in front of me driving really slowly, and somebody got really pissed off. Was that person you? No, there was a guy <laughs> behind me, and he's not wrong. Like, this person in front of me should not be on the highway. Sevens are wild on Saturday. Welcome once again to the uh, 32 Thoughts podcast presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup, car cast style. Once again, Elliot driving home uh, from the studio after another wild night of Stanley Cup playoff action. Uh, we have three closeout games on Saturday. Uh, we have some game sixes where we may see closeouts or series extended on Friday. And we say goodbye to the Minnesota Wild. We'll begin, though, with the early game on Hockey Night in Canada, Elliot. And that is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Stave off elimination, force a game seven. We'll see that on Saturday against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, wide brush thoughts on what we saw on Thursday night. We could title this podcast, How Am I Supposed to Sleep After This Too? <laughs> the sequel. That Toronto-Tampa Bay game was a great game. The overtime was phenomenal. The series has been fantastic. The Toronto Maple Leafs have proven to me this year, this year, they are as good as Tampa is. And at five on five, they might even be better. But you've got to win the series. And... Look, they were down 2 nothing again when the Tampa scored the second goal. I joked with Kevin and Kelly and Ron. I said they've got them right where they want them, not really thinking that was actually going to happen. But they took over the game, and they were up 3-2. to two. And in overtime, the overtime was phenomenal. Vasilevsky beat them. And, you know, I, I wasn't crazy about tweeting about how I felt about the officiating and things like that. But I wanted to, like, consider my thoughts and – really kind of formulate my proper opinion. And Jeff, what I didn't like was the standards so obviously changed. Like I, I think this is a series that's been played a certain way and then it really changed in game six. And I'm not convinced that's really fair to the group. Maybe what has to happen, Jeff, is that you just assign officials to playoff series. And we talked about it. Chris Cuthbert noticed it, and we noticed it. In the first game, there were 11 penalty minutes in the first period, three minors and a major to Clifford. In the next three games, there were eight penalty minutes in the first period. In game five, there were 14. There were seven minors in the first period. And I just thought that 
the way that that game was so different, look, the players can decide. Do they like it? Do they not like it? But I just can understand how they would find it weird and different. And I think Toronto wants a five-on-five series. I think they would be happy with a five-on-five series. But only one of the calls really bothered me, and it was the one on Kampf because I don't like head snaps. And Kelly and Kevin were very philosophical about it when we talked about it after the game. They're like, you know, that happens. You may not like it that a referee gets fooled or an official gets fooled, but that happens. And, you know, you got to get used to that. I don't know. I just, I don't like blaming officiating. I really don't. On this game, I just felt it wasn't in sync with the rest of the series. And I'm not convinced if I was a player that I would have been happy with that. Can I make a quick point about head snaps? Yeah. This is like, again, we always use the example of jazz. I can't describe it, but I know it when I see it. You can know when it's too much, but the automatic head snap, I understand. Like, I understand Foot snapping his head when there's a stick near his shoulder. I would do the same thing. I think it's a natural instinct when there is a stick anywhere near your head, you snap it away. And that, that doesn't mean that you're embellishing. Okay, that doesn't mean that you're trying to draw a penalty. I firmly believe that that is a natural reaction any human being would have if they get a stick around their shoulder or around their neck. Your natural inclination is to pull your face away from it. That's why I have a hard time with the idea of, you know, looking at it and going, you know, pixel by pixel and frame by frames of Pruder style and saying, aha, look, that's embellishment. He's trying to draw a penalty. Honestly, Elliot, I think that's a natural reaction. I really do. I don't think that's a bad argument, Jeff. I, I, I really don't. And that's why, you know, for example, in the late game, we talked about the penalty on Grundstrom that led to the 2-1 goal for L.A. Yeah. I always ask people like Kevin and Kelly how they feel. Because I don't know what it's like to have a cross-check in the back. And I think in a lot of ways, I don't necessarily think you're wrong. But I, I also do know that a lot of people who've played the game for a long time really hate that. Really hate it. Yeah. And I always tend to defer to that kind of thinking. That they believe in a lot of cases, it's more embellishment than not. Like I, I remember Thomas Placanitz, who was a great player, got that reputation as a head snapper. And he stopped getting calls. And, I, and this was around 2014, I would think it was. I, I think I remember because I think it was the last year we had the rights at CBC. And he had a game where he got a couple penalties, and then they stopped calling him on him. And I remember I asked around, like, I think I had the same opinion that you did. And people just said, like, in hockey, they see it as more of an embellishment than a natural reaction. So maybe in normal humans, it's your way. And in hockey, it's this way. Mm-hmm. That's the best I can counter. But I know it makes a lot of people crazy. I know it doesn't. Like I said, I'm not one who likes to rip officials a lot because, look, I make mistakes. They make mistakes. It's a fast game. I just found that it was weird with the tenor of the series. And I can understand why that would frustrate me. So we have a game seven here. If you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning, how are you feeling about your team heading into Saturday, Elliot? 
you know, like, like I said, like I do think this Toronto team has proven that this year's Lightning, it's a coin toss. It is an absolute coin toss between these two teams. They are evenly matched, and they are just as good as each other. I think if you're Toronto, there's no reason to be nervous in Game 7. They might be, but there's no reason to be. They've proven they're just as good as they are. They shouldn't lose because of nerves, for example, if they lose. And I'll tell you something else I never thought I would have believed going into this series. Jack Campbell has proven that he can look Vasilevsky in the eye and battle him puck for puck. Like, to me, honestly, this game is a total, total toss-up. A total toss-up. The only thing I don't like is I don't think Toronto should get in the habit of spotting them 2-0 leads. (laughs) Probably not the wisest thing to do. Um, You tempt fate too often when you do that. Well, here becomes the question, too, and after we do this, we'll, we'll bounce around a couple of the other series, and I do want to get to what's next for the Minnesota Wild here, but given how the Maple Leafs have played against the Tampa Bay Lightning, given how they've demonstrated they can hang with the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, and to your point, are not just right there with them, but probably as good a team as Tampa is, is that good enough right now that the Maple Leafs organization and everybody who feels their job may be in jeopardy can withstand a loss now has this team shown enough that people who may think that with an opening round loss they may be you know walking out of the building with a pink slip can they now withstand a loss the only loss i think you can't withstand is 11 to nothing if you lose another game like this i think you'd be crazy to fire people Mm -hmm. i agree if you lose you're losing to the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions in his seventh game. And unless you go up there and you throw like an absolutely non-competitive performance, the answer is no. They're just as good as Tampa is. To the other series. Let's get to Edmonton, Los Angeles. Uh, This one was awkward. This one had a comeback by the Los Angeles Kings, courtesy of Sean Dursey and Carl Grundstrom. And in the end, it was Tyson Berry who establishes himself in this series and inserts himself in a significant way with five minutes and 10 seconds left. He scores to make it three to two. And he skates back into the Kings territory. Dry side, saucer pass. Berry shoots. He scores! The go-ahead goal off the stick of Tyson Berry. And late in game six, the Oilers lead three to two. And you know, you look at that shift, an offensive zone face-off after a tired bunch is on the ice, and they just continue to push the issue. Hemden in, L.A.'s looking for a change. Athanasiu just kind of can't put this puck in deep, but it's McDavid all the way back once again in the defensive zone. And what a pass by Leon Dreisaitl. He looks back, he knows Barry's there, he's got time. That's Grunstrom coming on the ice late. And that's it. Your thoughts on Edmonton extending this one and Evander Kane reminding Kings fans that we're headed to a Game 7. I thought that McDavid had one of the greatest games I've ever seen him play. I know he didn't get eight points or anything like that, but considering what was at stake, and Dreisaitl is clearly hurting, didn't have Nurse, and McDavid came out there, and he took a big hit from Kaliev. He carried the man. 
that's as great a performance as McDavid has had in his NHL career. I really believe that. How did you feel about the uh, the Kaliev collision, by the way? I got to tell you, I think it was mostly accidental. Mostly? I thought at the end he was like, you know how it is? Like, you're going to give someone a little nudge, and he caught him a lot more than he thought he was going to catch him. Yeah. I think he always expected, like, I do think people look at McDavid and they're like, oh, he's going to see me because he's Connor McDavid. I would bet you that Kaliev was actually surprised that McDavid didn't pick him out at the absolute last second with his super peripheral vision. I think it was, I have no desire to really hit him, but I wouldn't mind bumping him a little bit. And he was shocked at how much he got him. The way that I see that, I'm I'm very similar to how you think. I, I think that if I'm Todd McClellan, one of the things that I'm telling all my players is, as often as you can, set a pick in front of Connor McDavid. Slow him down at every opportunity. Make it look casual. Make it look non-deliberate. But set picks for Connor McDavid to slow him down all over the ice. And I think Kaliev in that situation was doing it, but I don't think he intended to do it like that. But I do think that whether it's Kaliev or anybody else on the Los Angeles Kings, make no mistake about it. The instruction is slow this guy down. You can't make it look like a basketball pick, but we all know what skating picks are. And we all know what skating picks look like. And that was just more of a, that was just a rougher skating pick. How's that, Elliot? Yeah, I, so we're pretty much on a similar wavelength. We believe the same thing. I mean, I'm looking at this right now and... I'm thinking about how is Dreisaitl. Yep. I know the Kings are missing Doughty, but you know Dreisaitl would obviously be a huge factor if he was not available or less than 100%. But I just got to tell you tonight, I thought McDavid was unbelievable. I thought he won that game. And the others aren't always known for grinding out wins and things like that, but... I really thought they grinded that one out. It was really impressive what they did. Uh, we have another Game 7 on Saturday. That is the Boston Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes. The Bruins beat Carolina 5-3 to three is the final score here. We're going Game 7 in rally. Your thoughts on that one? I was surprised that Ajo got up from that hit. Oh, but he wasn't the same the rest of the game, though. He was in the game, but he wasn't in the game, Elliot. That was a punishing punishing hit and I agree with you I, I thought it set a tone I thought it really affected Ajo like game seven to me Toronto Tampa is a total toss-up because I think both those teams are going to bring a lot and they're going to compete hard and I think they're really evenly matched I think this series has proven that they're really evenly matched I think Edmonton and L.A. is going to be three yards in a cloud of dust. I've said it a couple of times, talking about Calgary-Dallas, but I think that's what this series is now. I, I think there's a lot of attrition there. I think that you know players are banged up. It's become a really, really tight, grinding series, and those two teams are going to claw at each other to whoever's going to win the game. I have no idea. There's been times where... Carolina's been completely dominant in this series, but I think as the series has gotten on, I think Boston's gotten a lot better. And right now, I think Swayman, mm. this is what it comes down to. Who are you betting on, Swayman or Ronta? Well, tonight, Swayman outplayed him. 
He sure did. But how many guys on Boston and Carolina are going to look at Game 7 and they're going to say, holy smokes, I never thought my season was going to come down to X goalie. Like the Uh Boston guys thought that Tuka Rask was going to be here right now. And Carolina thought Freddie Anderson. I got to think that there's guys playing saying, holy smokes, we never envisioned this. It'll be a fascinating one. Uh, right now, it's the Homer series, and it's heading into Carolina's backyard. We'll uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. Let's get to St. Louis and Minnesota. You and I talked on the radio about some of the really smart moves that Craig Berube has made in this series. Some of the tweaks, some of the changes. Minnesota made you know one significant change for this game, inserting Cam Talbot in, in net instead of Mark Andre Fleury. Talbot hasn't played in a couple of weeks. It doesn't end well for the Minnesota Wild. Their season is done. It's a 5-1 win for St. Louis. And one of those changes that we saw Craig Berube make in this series paid off again. Jordan Bennington. We just talked about goaltenders in Carolina and Boston. Elliot, Jordan Bennington was excellent again. He was really good again. He was the difference. There's no question about that. As this series went on, St. Louis got stronger. And it's like if you believe in the law of energy, right? Energy is neither created nor destroyed. It just goes to different places. The energy went from Minnesota to St. Louis as the series went on and St. Louis took control. We talked about this, about the danger of playing Cam Talbot, is that you were asking a lot of a guy who hadn't played in two weeks. You're putting him in game six of a series, And you're saying, look, I know you haven't played in two weeks, but we need you. And I'm watching that first goal. And at the time, you know, Minnesota's out shooting St. Louis 9-2. And, you know, it's a pretty harmless looking goal for Nick Letty. And you could just see the wild say. Loose change finds Pareko, peels to his right, plays it on the tape of Letty, who will gallop ahead, hit the red line. Now the offensive blue line, left circle is shot. And I don't blame Cam Talbot in this situation. I think that if you're any goalie in the world with any sense of competitive nature, if your team comes to you and says, you're going in tonight and we need you, you're going to say yes. You're going to go and you're going to say, yes, I can do it. I can win the game. But I think deep down, everybody had to know it was far from ideal. And he'd been out for too long, and it was a tough place to put him in. And I think Minnesota has created a kind of name for themselves as an organization that is unafraid to take chances that other teams won't take. And I think that serves them well, but sometimes those decisions are going to blow up in your face like a grade 10 chemistry experiment. (laughs) <laughs> and, and and I did that because I once set a sink on fire in grade 10 chemistry. Oh, well done. This was one of those cases where it did. But the thing is, I don't think that Wild can let that change who they are. I think it's easy to say tonight they made the wrong call. It didn't work for them. And maybe in this case, it was the wrong call. But what my point is, is that I don't think it can change Bill Guerin and Dean Evison from thinking the way they think. And I would hope it doesn't. It didn't work, but you can't let it change your, I don't know, your identity. Or, or how you operate. And now the Minnesota Wild are going to have to operate with a big salary cap hole 
of $12.7 million next season. Let's do the the what's next for Minnesota now that they've been eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs. First order of business for Minnesota, is it Marc-Andre Fleury decision or is it Kevin Fiala decision? Well, I think about it this way. Fleury's an unrestricted free agent. Yes. What does he want? Well, the the, the first question is, does he want to stay? I think that all goes in there. I mean, in Minnesota... Like there's nothing personal in Minnesota's decision. They made the best decision, business decision that they thought was right. How is Mark Andre Fleury with that? Is he going to want to stay, or is mm. he going to want to go elsewhere? And even then, his regular season numbers are such that Minnesota has to be very careful with all their contracts, right? As you said, they've got a big salary cap hole. They don't have a lot of flexibility, so they're they're you know. Mark Andre Fleury could probably get more in the open market than Minnesota could offer. Now, he might fool us all and say, you know what, I really liked it here. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to find a number that works. We'll see. You know, the Fiala thing, I was going over it this week with someone. What's Fiala's ARB case? And, you know, his ARB case is going to lead into his UFA case. I think Minnesota is going to have to do major surgery if they want to keep Fiala. Yeah. We're not talking about like, okay, you're going to lose your pinky finger or your little toe. I just don't see it. I I think Fiala's going to have to go and they'll have to figure it out from there. I, I just, But the thing is, again, with Garen, if he sees something, he might do it because he's not afraid. But you know, from what I'm hearing, it's just going to be extremely difficult. Yeah, I, I can't see a scenario barring completely blowing up, like, for example, blowing completely blowing up your blue line. I, I think, like, that's about the only way you're going to be able to keep Kevin Fiala. And we all know, you know, the, the hot and cold relationship between Kevin Fiala and Dean Evason, uh, which, you know, goes back to the Nashville days in Milwaukee. So they're not strangers to one another. Uh, they've very much found a way to coexist this season, and Kevin Fiala had an outstanding season for the Minnesota Wild under Dean Evason. I just think that that was the last time we'll see Kevin Fiala as a member of the Minnesota Wild. And listen, they're they're in the the picks and prospects business now. Like they're going to have to, you know, it's going to be a steady stream of entry level contracts now because of the the buyouts of Parisian Suter. That's story we've been talking about since the buyouts uh, occurred. I think the Fiala deal will be a whopper. Uh, sounds to me very much like a, like a draft day trade, but I don't think it's going to be for anybody that has much, if any, salary attached. This sounds like a picks and prospects deal. Does it not to you? Like I said, I, I think Garen is shown that he's completely fearless, and I've learned that if anybody's going to do something unconventional, he might be that guy. But I would say you're probably right, but until I see it, mm-hmm. I'll wait. That's a tough loss for Minnesota, though. Like, it really is. This was their year. They they went all in. They pushed all their chips into the table. Like The thing is, like I look at Minnesota like I look at Toronto, right? Like I think that's a really good team. There's no weaklings in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. What did Minnesota get for their reward for a great season? They got St. Louis. St. Louis. You know, what did Toronto get for their reward for a great season? They got Tampa Bay. One of the things we look at here is 
oh, they lose in the first round. Well, that's depressing for them, and I'm sure they feel like crap, really. But I look at who they lost to and how good that team was. And, you know, sometimes in this league, you get beat by the playoff setup as much as you get beat by the team you're playing. And I think that has to be recognized. And I wouldn't overreact to this. It's a crappy loss, but that's a hell of a team that beat them. It really is. Uh, one other note with Minnesota before we move on here quickly. Um, what about Nick Delorier? He was a really effective regular season player. Um, he brings an element of toughness, a really good penalty killer as well. Uh, I know sometimes it's tricky to play players like Delorier in the playoffs. I think we all get that. But what happens with Delorier here? I mean, everywhere he goes, he's a fan favorite and a clubhouse favorite, but his contract is expiring. What do you think of Delorier? Well, I know there was some thought he might end up going back. To Anaheim. Yes. And I also think that after he left, you know, what happened? Uh, the Arizona game happened. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that Delorier's absence from that game went unnoticed. Mm-hmm. I still think there are some teams specifically in the Metropolitan that want to get a little tougher. And I wonder about the Pittsburgh Penguins who've tried to get them before. I, I wonder about, I wonder about the Penguins and, and Nick Delorier, but we'll see there. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view the best safe view and they all had to stay somewhere and many used airbnb i want to share something with you i was once told one of the wisest things you can do when you host an airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners many did this with the eclipse you can do this as well your home could be an airbnb seriously it doesn't have to be your whole place i mean it could be You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Okay, so that's what happened on Thursday. We got Game 7s on Saturday. Saturday's just going to be a glorious day. Just going to be a a glorious day for hockey. And we've got three elimination games on Friday as this podcast gets released. You have three elimination games tonight. Penguins up 3-2 on the Rangers. We still don't know about Crosby. Panthers are up 3-2 on the Capitals coming off a five-point performance from Carter Verhage. And the Flames could close out the Dallas Stars. You have a quick thought here on each of these series, Elliot. Well, I mean, the, the big one, obviously, is, is Crosby. I, you know, the Penguins are obviously being very guarded about his situation. You know, I got to tell you, part of me actually wondered if he injured his leg on the play as much as anything else. But hmm. obviously, that's not the case. You know, it's an upper body injury, and we all think we know what it is, unfortunately. I agreed with the decision not to suspend Jacob Truba. I think it was a bad fluke, unfortunately. I'm probably like most people. I want to see Sidney Crosby healthy and playing. I do think on some level this will start another conversation about 
contact the head and what has to be done about it. But I, I think in this case, you know, it was a play where Truba was trying to make a, a stick on puck and unfortunately it went really awry and I hate to see it. And I hope again, I hope that we see Sidney Crosby in the lineup on Friday night for game six. I just don't know. You know, just from a purely Penguins point of view, they have to be concerned that they completely melted down after Crosby got hurt. Adam Fox told Carolyn Cameron that the game completely changed. It was like a, a new game entirely. Pittsburgh's actually fortunate that Malkin didn't get a hearing. Yes, that's true. You know, he had a cross-check to the face, and he's just getting back from a late-season suspension from one of those. Like They became unglued, and I wouldn't expect that to happen again. I would think that Mike Sullivan will grab a hold of everyone and get everyone under control. I'm also wondering if there's any chance that Tristan Jari shows up. Listen, we've seen him on the ice. We don't know if he can go. We've seen it before. I wonder if we see Jari. You know, I, I, the other thing I wonder too, Jeff, is if there's anybody in the Pittsburgh organization who looks at what happened with Talbot and says, yeah, I don't know if we want to do that. Uh, I don't know. I'm just throwing spaghetti at the wall. <laughs> I don't know about that one. I think it's different going from Marc-Andre Fleury to Cam Talbot than going from Louis Domingue to, to Tristan Jari. Yeah, that's not the worst argument you've ever made. I've made some bad ones. Uh, you you remind me of that on a daily basis. Uh, Panthers Capitals, uh, Cats can close out against uh, Washington. It took another comeback in Game 5. The Panthers keep getting scares here from the Capitals, and then Carter Verhage goes to work. Your thoughts on this one? Boy, Car- of all the people on that roster... Carter Verhage, what a story. Five-point game, and Florida looked asleep for a good chunk of that game. Again, Barkov has been really quiet in that series. I thought he was better in five for each. He has not taken over a game yet. Nope. Again, like both of these goalies, they make you nervous, right? Like Bobrovsky's having rough moments, and Sevsano's having rough moments. We talked about Boston, Carolina, like the players looking and saying, boy, I wasn't expecting this in terms of in goal. I think in Florida, obviously you were expecting it was probably going to be Bobrovsky. But I got to think the players on both these teams are kind of looking at it like, geez, like, you know, we don't know what to expect behind us. And we also, you know, think that we're never out of a game because of it. That's right. Well, that certainly happened the last game. Like, Washington is clearly not intimidated by these guys. Washington thinks they can win this series. I don't know that they're crazy about the goaltending, but they think they can win this series. And I just think Florida's deeper, and I think Florida can outscore them. But Washington is completely unfazed and unintimidated by that. Calgary Flames up 3-2 on the Dallas Stars. They can close out on Friday really quickly. This is as as a quick thought. That Andrew Mangiapane goal in Game 5. A beautiful goal. Like, and it's got the perfect ping of the post. Like, it hits the post perfectly. You know, did it, you hear Ron mention that, by the way, on, uh, on Thursday night? No, I missed that. What did he say? He actually credited you. First intermission of Game 
of the Edmonton game, he said that Jeff Merrick says that the best sound in hockey it is. is the ping off the post and in. Oh, and I that. said that's the first smart thing you've ever said. <laughs> well, thanks for the compliment. I can't believe you weren't watching. Well, normally I do watch the intermissions. Today was probably either bouncing around games or doing something with the kids that just came back from baseball. Merrick uh, only watches himself on TV. That's how. That's yeah, what we know it's, now. Uh, right above my mirror, it says, oh, look, there's my navel. Calgary Flames going to close out against the Dallas Stars. And the Andrew Mangiapane goal, was that the loudest we've heard the Saddle Dome this year? I would think so. Don't, you know, I'm- like that moment was such a release for everybody. First of all, you're getting into the third period here, and the Jason Robertson goal is standing up, and Jake Ottinger is being Jake Ottinger, and everyone in Calgary is going, ooh, geez. And then they tie it up, and then Mangiapane scores to give them the lead. And it was like this incredible release valve. And like all the tension that Flames fans have built up about their team all got released on that goal. Yeah, it was it was a great building. To me, that was an incredibly mature win by the Flames. They didn't panic. They stuck with what they do and they Sutter went to the blender and they found stuff going on. And they grinded away to win that game. I really thought that series was a toss-up through four games. For the first time, I think one team's really in trouble, and I think that team is Dallas. I think now that Calgary has just said, we're going to play and we're going to forget the the tomfoolery, which you worry about next season, you don't worry about now, there's been a separation between the two teams. Mm-hmm. I, I always look at a series and I say, okay, who's in trouble? And until the end of the last game, I never felt anybody was in huge trouble in that series. Now I feel differently. I, I feel Dallas is, and not just because it's three to two. I just think that Calgary has established itself, took a bit longer than we thought, but now they've established themselves. And that's a tough level for Dallas to get to. You know what's an interesting thing about the Calgary Flames through all of this with the Dallas Stars who have thrown a real big scare here into the Calgary team? They haven't panicked for each. Yeah. Has there been a moment where you said like, ooh, look at Calgary, they're panicking right now? I haven't seen it. View? No, they're definitely not panicking. I've been really impressed by them. They have not panicked at all. We'll see what happens tonight. We could have three closeouts. Uh, the Pens and the Rangers, the Panthers and the Capitals, the Flames and the Dallas Stars. And then it's Game 7 Saturday, folks. Okay, so we look forward to all these games. And Elliot, will get in some more news on the next podcast. How about that? Because you just got home and you need a pillow. I need a pillow. Amel, though, needs to get to work to get this thing out. First thing Friday morning, Amel, we love you. And we love ending the podcast with some great tunes. Taking us out today, a musician from Victoria, B.C., whose latest body of work takes us to much greater depths. Jesse Roper explores new sounds on his latest EP by bringing forward pulsating percussions and undulating guitar with Roper's expansive vocals leading the charge. From Hold On Me, here's Jesse Roper, with hooks appropriate for a hockey podcast on 32 thoughts the pod enjoy Can you?
You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences... People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.